Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Content warning, the anime that we are about to discuss has graphic scenes not suitable for younger audiences. These scenes depict gruesome acts of violence. This anime series is recommended for a mature audience. If you have any issues with the above topics mentioned, we recommend you do not continue with this episode. Welcome one and all, weebs and casuals alike, we are Baka and Company, and we're here to provide you with a deep dive into all your favorite anime shows and movies. We'll talk about both new and old anime and everything in between. If you have suggestions, please reach out to us through at Podcast on Twitter, clicking on our link tree and joining our Discord, or joining us uh, through Podcast at gmail.com. We will also want to reach out and thank Akano on SoundCloud for our intro. On this episode, we are talking about Majo no Tabi Tabi, or The Wandering Witch, the story of Elena. Um, I may have missed that up already, but... I think I think there's no the at the beginning. Oh. And for the record, this is something that I oh. messed up with quite a bit myself when I was doing the Googling. I think it's The Wandering Witch, colon, The Journey of Elena. Okay, so... We'll get back to that in a real quick second, Cozy Bear, because I gotta introduce you to you and Element, because Element's here again oh. today. Uh, as you heard, we have a special guest, uh, Cozy Bear, who's joining us. Hey, 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 hey! And, it's Cozy Bear, aka Alexander Kazina. And uh, what we are going to dive into, according to its Wikipedia page, is Wandering Witch: The Journey of Elena, which makes sense due to All the right. final episode and the name of the book at the end. It's just Wandering Witch, right? It's not the Wandering Witch. So weird. Uh, because, like, the direct translation of the name, too, is a little... Is just the witch's journey, but mm. I guess they've a- added it to to narrow it down and stuff. There are a lot of things that are weird about this show, but <laughs> let's not rush quite into things. Let's uh, get in- vital information off right off the bat. So uh, it started out as a light novel series, uh, and that was back in 2016. Uh, The manga adaptation went through in November 2018 uh, through Square Enix, uh, and then it got picked up as an anime television series. Wow, that word's hard today. Uh, By C2C, aired on December 2020, or sorry, ended December 2020, started in October. And it was one show I did not hear a ton of people talking about, but the people I did hear, like, were fanatics for it. Uh, so, what's what's so funny, guys? <laughs> well, it, it's funny. I don't know if I have permission here and now to get into my own thoughts on the show. I don't know if you saw the a spiel that you need to uh, go over at this point. 
Spiel. Which one? Spiel, like as in like going over the release date of oh. the show, like other essential information that we need to go over before we <laughs> get into the discussion proper. That's what I mean. Well, no, like this is this is what we tend to do. Uh, but like it says it aired from October to December. Like it's a where's production notes as I go ahead. Duh. Oh, I like it says here that. The original writer, Joey Shirashi, uh, was disappointed with the prospect and he would not become a, the prospect that he would not become a professional writer. It was around the time when he discovered it was possible to self-publish on Amazon and Kindle or on Amazon to Kindle. Uh, the series debuted on ebook in 2014. Um, and then Yeah. He cites National Geographic for the ecology and the animals and inspiration for the various countries that are featured. Um, and when he thinks about the story, he states he focuses on the setting and then the world first. So I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> there's so much uh, to unpack uh, with this particular anime. I want to go back uh, briefly and talk about our expectations going into this show, because you mentioned how, you know, the people that were talking about the show at the time of its release were uniformly raving uh, about its quality. Uh, my experience was a little bit different where uh, I heard about this show through the anime Twitterverse and the impressions that I got on that platform were a little bit all over the place where I saw a lot of people praising some episodes of the show and then recoiling in fear and terror at other episodes. Uh, we'll get into it, you know, more deeply, I, I'd imagine, later on in this show. But late into the series, uh, there's an episode where things go completely to hell and, <laughs> and in the most gruesome fashion for our protagonists. And... That, sh that particular episode was the first episode that I actually saw screenshots of on Twitter. And because of the weird chronology of how I was exposed to this information, I was under the impression, because that was more or less around the exact same time that I was made aware of the show ex show's existence, that that was the first episode of the show. That this is going to be one of those shows where oh. it starts out real dark mm. and real grim, and then the rest of the show is showing the character kind of resting and recovering from this traumatic injury and coming to uh, grasp uh, with her trauma. Uh, turned out not to be the case. However, needless to say, I was still quite caught off guard by this show because let me tell you guys, this was a roller coaster of emotions. I think that the best and worst thing about the wandering witch uh, made the mistake myself it's not the wandering witch it's just wandering witch <laughs> is how unpredictable this show was in terms of its tone you had episodes that were completely slice of lifey and totally benign and everything ended perfectly wellly and cavalierly for our protagonists and then you had episodes that went straight to hell and i have qualms with some of the more insidious episodes of the show, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into the further we go. But right off the bat, like this show, I do have to hand it to this show for, you know, keeping me on my toes and constantly uh, keeping a general impression of what I was getting into with each episode of the show out of uh, Graf's, Graf's reach. Yeah, can't pronounce certain words today. Uh, with the exception of worry. episode nine, <laughs> with the exception of episode nine, which literally had a content warning at the beginning of it. So, um, Element, when you, when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago and suggesting it, you said you had started it and never finished it, or was that... No, I think that means it was you. Um, I knew about the show. I remember okay, when that it was airing that season, it was quite popular, like, in terms of discussion. Like, I'm when I'm watching anime, I'm always, you know reading the discussion threads after an episode um just see you know what people are thinking and also there's a lot of interesting stuff about like people who read the source material then like clarifying things that happen in the episode because often they have to cut stuff okay. out of an adaptation because there's not time mm -hmm. or you know context change that sort of stuff which is definitely the case in certain situations which... in this series well it's funny you mentioned that because watching this show i did not particularly feel like the episodes were lacking in too much context. I didn't feel like a lot, like a lot of content got cut. Of course, with every anime that's adapted from a light novel, you need to do a little bit of fine tuning and editing here and there. But compared to some other 
light novel adaptations that I've read in the past, this one felt like it was like a much more faithful and kind of not very kind of cost-cutting affair. That's that makes the sense. vibe I got from it as well, except for the last episode, which we'll get into in a bit. But um, that there was a very... Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can see it. There's a very there. interesting, yeah. um, like very specific moment that is different in the light novel, apparently. And that I feel like that changes the context of the show a little bit um, at the very end. But okay. anyway, I mean, in general, my impression was that the show was quite popular. Um, and I remember seeing like some episodes have like you know, most of the episodes on average had about 500 comments, you know, in the threads, like all the slice of lifey ones. And then I saw some episodes have 2000 comments. I'm like, wow, something crazy happened that episode. But obviously I wasn't watching the show, so I had no, uh, no idea what was going on there. And then obviously that was at the end of 2020 and I didn't remember it when we watched it, um, you know, this last week or so. So going in, I was expecting, uh, you know, a pretty slice of lifey show. I don't know what it is about anime and witches, but I love like every show with witches in it. I've watched, um, you know, bar none. And this was no exception. Like right off the first, like two episodes, I was like, hell yeah. I really like this. You know, it's, (laughs) it's, you know, it's kind of cute. I like the world. Obviously witches in anime is awesome. And then I also like that it wasn't all like happy go lucky. Like there was a little bit of, um, even in the first episode, with the teacher sort of pushing Elena to her limits and like teaching her the lesson of like, you know, it's okay to be polite, but you shouldn't sacrifice your, you know, your well-being to let other people walk all over you sort of thing. I, I really liked that. And I was impressed by that sort of writing in a show like this, especially in an anime, because I feel like uh, it's it can be a common trope in anime, I guess just due to how culture is in Japan, um, that the protagonist or characters are very... Um, they're very willing to accept a lot of abuse um, and not stand up for themselves because it's the polite thing to do. Um, so I was impressed that this lesson was coming from a show like this. Um, and sorry, go ahead. I, 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 sorry. I, I don't know if uh, Drew wanted to talk first. Oh no. Uh, like I was going to get us into the episodes, but go for it, Cozy. Well, I just want to say, uh, I do appreciate that the uh, show imparted that lesson very early on. I will say it does feel uh, a little bit sappy that for that lesson to kind of come across, we first had to have a month of the more elderly witch abusing her in the manner that she did. Uh, But I do appreciate the lesson that they got to in the end. I think that like honestly reflecting on the entirety of this particular series i'd say that the first episode is probably my favorite of the bunch just because i feel like it's you know sorrow and it's sort of more uh gleeful moments were i think a little bit better in balance than any of the other episodes. i can totally see that i can see like this was sort of like the perfect microcosm of what the show was you know it was majority of it was this sort of slice of life and stuff with a sort of a little bit of an undertone that was like a little bit sinister and then it all came to a head with a a climax and a emotional climax that the character had and she grew from it um and i think that's like a great sort of Mm. it's all the whole show in one episode and it's not the extremes that we sort of get to um going forward um like what was what was the episode with the was that the second episode that was the the plant episode um uh, third the third one episode was episode okay yeah three. so yeah what was episode two then episode two was her meeting her understudy in the city of right, right, right. Okay, and yeah, yeah. growing alongside her weird t-shirt. one yeah. um i was unclear on how like when they show the the flashback of saya like picking elena as a target to crash into i was unsure of what the context there was like why was saya going for elena it seemed like it was a targeted thing rather than her just crashing into this person and then falling in love with her sort of thing so i wasn't sure what the story there was um but the rest of it was like interesting i guess um but i thought episode three was probably the most interesting because of the dilemma it presented uh so here's the thing again drew tendo if you want you can get some of the stuff that you want to get out of the way first because i really have a big discussion that i want to get into here but i don't want to you know prevent anything else from uh, getting out of the way first yeah so what i wanted to lead into is I, i'm in the same boat as element is where it was presented to me as very slice of life very happy go lucky and i think that 
third episode is what hooked me. It wasn't my favorite. Um, I think the Princess Without Subjects episode four was my favorite. The like she, we'll talk about that in a second. But having this show actually show adversity, having this show actually show growth, and having everything I felt was in the in its own boundaries of its own universe like a lot of animes you just have the protagonist getting more and more and more and more more powerful and they seem to just carry on with their story whereas this we we keep getting introduced to elena every episode's its own like self-contained little story with some overlapping uh characters and whatnot but going into the the flower episode where like she's just given a bouquet of flowers and everyone's like cool and then goes to town and town the town guards are like this is not cool this is something bad and having that quick of a turn and realizing that this isn't really a formatted series where you're going to be like all right monday elena does this tuesday she does that where a lot of anime formats into like one big continuous story um, these were like those self-contained, like essentially stories. And even and I within felt... those self-contained stories, they jump back and forth in time a lot of the time. Um, so it's one of those things where you have to pay attention, or you'll like be very confused as to what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Like um, uh, I can't remember. Oh yeah, it was episode five and six, the Truth Teller episode, and the one before that, which is Royal Celestria, where she kind of goes to Hogwarts. Mm. Um, right. Which I thought was also really cool because the characters that she meets there were clearly designed with something in mind. Um, but I had, I had those on a different screen, so I didn't physically watch them. I had them playing and I could hear them. So Mm -hmm. you seeing, going back and seeing like in episode two and and seeing the actual content that you're missing, it, it is a big thing. And I did myself a disservice by having some of these shows on in the background and, not properly paying attention but um given given the chance like i'm gonna now that i know there's like it's, little hidden secrets i'm gonna rewatch it like no matter what it's okay though because i definitely grinded in a little bit of avengers and may or may not <laughs> have gotten a platinum trophy for foxyland too while i watched this show uh but that definitely happened more towards the end of the show than the beginning um I want to ask you two guys a question. Sure. You guys have repeatedly said, you know, growth. Uh, do you feel like uh, Elena, the main character of this particular protagonist, grew a lot over the course of the show? I think she grew at the start, uh, and that sort of set her her decision making going forward, um, and that became very clear to me. Um, and it was not what I, I I don't expect it from anime. I think um, so. That was probably what drew me in the most is they sort of established very early on that uh, she, while she might have good intentions um, or she's maybe, she's not a perfect person. Um, You know, she's got like this narcissistic streak about her. That's like, you know, very imperfect for an anime character. Mm. I think it's, it's a lot of, a lot of things that I don't expect from anime, Um, you know, character flaws, uh, not always being the hero, just being there to observe the situation and not uh, meddle in it. Um, I think they established that she is there as a traveler. She's an observer. Um, and if people don't ask for her help, she doesn't give it. Um, knowing that, you know, maybe she can save one person, but like a problem endemic to a system is not something she can fix with, you know, however much magic she uses. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting take on, you know, a normal anime protagonist. I agree because you really see that come through in the truth telling episode where she when she first gets there and she's like okay this is cool like this is a really interesting spell like let's see how it works and then she slowly starts realizing although people have to tell the truth it doesn't mean they're going to talk so she like finds like the little loopholes that people are going through but when she first gets there and she even when she meets the the witch who cast that spell she's not fully ready to like help them. she's just kind of like okay and it, it, this even goes back to where she's with the the students. She only helps the students because Fran asks her to. And then um, further back into uh, The Princess Without Subjects. Like, right up until the end of that episode, she flat out tells her, 
I am not helping you whatsoever. I mean, but the like this is your problem. Yeah, both that that's both sides of it. The the princess asks her for help, or the queen, I guess, asks her for help. Um, yeah. And she says, "How much are you paying me?" and that sort of stuff. And then in the end, she doesn't even end up getting involved. Like she she decides at the very end that she would help, and then she realizes that. The, yeah, yeah, she gets she gets there. She's like she dug the hole right and helps her yeah. do that and like gets the trap all set. And then she sees the fight going on. She's like, "Okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it." And then just watches this woman obliterate her demon mm-hmm. yeah i think because we won't spoil too much of those episodes for yeah, everyone. the slave the slave girl episode is like the one where i'm like that's super interesting that she chose not to do anything um when any other anime i would watch the the hero would the, you know an actor that wait, sorry Oh, that's the okay. That's the episode. That's two parts, right? Yes. That's with yeah. flower. Yeah. Okay, okay. The second, the second part of episode okay. three. Yeah. I thought I missed an episode, <laughs> and then I just scrolled down and started reading. What What did you have there, uh, cozy? So, like, yeah. So let's jump off from that because here's the thing. You know, I said right off the front. I think one of this particular show's greatest strengths is that it is such an unpredictable show. From episode to episode, you really don't know. Uh, what it is that you're going to get. I think that my least favorite aspect of this show is from my perspective, I feel the real lack of growth in the character of Elena from, I would say episode two onward, where I feel like if you present the show to someone and you said, Hey, uh, the ultimate objective of the writer of this particular show was to present a protagonist that is utterly ambivalent about her surroundings and is completely narcissistic and self-absorbed, not utterly so, but to a pretty large degree, you'd say, okay, yeah, this show absolutely succeeds. Personally, though, I was hoping for something that uh, would show a little bit more of a kind of a traditional hero's journey, a little bit more of a kind of traditional character arc. Early on, we have episodes where Elena is, you know, presented with pretty dismal situations. We have the uh, flower uh, bed that kind of hypnotizes and entrances people to eventually become one with it. We have the slave girl uh, who is living in a horrible, uh, abusive situation. And we have the um, princess without a kingdom, without uh, any peasants or commoners uh, below her grasp, uh, who just lives a miserable, shattered life. And... You know, at the time, I enjoyed those episodes, but looking back on them in retrospect after having watched the rest of the series, I'm disappointed that those episodes were not uh, kind of a prelude to Elena kind of having this realization that she can't just sort of like sit by idly and watch the rest of the world burn around her, that she has to sort of be the change that she wants to be in life. I am... I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but, you know, after I finished watching the series, I thought back to a lot of Spider-Man movies and Spider-Man stories. And I think that a an element that is true of many kind of Spider-Man stories, particularly, you know, the origin section of Spider-Man, is that there's like a period of time or a moment where Spider-Man sees some sort of uh, misdoing going on. He witnesses a crime and he refuses to help out. He's like, no, it's not really my concern. In the Amazing Spider-Man movie from the early 2010s, there's a moment where uh, a drugstore that he's inside of gets robbed by that one guy. And he's like, not my problem. No reason why I have to be the person to punish him. And he ends up paying dearly for that, albeit in an indirect manner with the death of Uncle Ben. Spoilers. And it's at that point <laughs> that... Yeah, spoilers to everybody who has not seen the Amazing Spider-Man one. Why? Why did you pick Amazing? Why did you pick Amazing Spider-Man and not Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? That's that's my real question. <laughs> I mean, I, I th- I'm pretty certain that I saw Amazing Spider-Man more recently, so I think it just oh, okay, came okay. back to my okay. head. But you can you can pick Tobey Maguire we'll, Spider-Man. We'll do we'll do a Spider-Man podcast. Yeah, we'll do a Spider-Man podcast. Baka and Spider-Man. Yeah, and so at that point on, like Spider-Man has realization that like no. I can't just sort of uh, let evil do its thing while I stand idly by. I need to be the change that I see in the world. I need to be the person going out there and uh, being the difference that this world needs. And, like, I was disappointed that in the latter episodes of the show, 
at least from my perspective, and I'm interested in hearing your takes, that we didn't see Elena have a similar sort of revelation, that we didn't see Elena go, I can't stay idly by. I need to use my incredible magical prowess to, you know, be a change for good in this world. Especially considering that, you know, we establish in the show that witches are generally considered justful, heroic beings. When we're introduced to the backstory of the uh, blonde-haired witch who works for the magic institution, it's explained how she originally taught herself how to use magic to be like a common street thief. Then she was taken in by the uh, elder witch, uh, Nikkei, and she basically taught her like, no, witches are supposed to kind of use their magic for good. They're not supposed to use it for kind of like petty crime like this. So this is a world where it's established that witches are, you know, good, virtuous individuals. And from that perspective, I feel like Elena is a bad witch and that she's not living up to that particular virtue. I, okay, this is a great point. Um, I think on paper I would agree and the idea of the, I guess the hero's developmental journey is so, um, you've seen it a thousand times before and I think it would have totally fit fine in the show. I think two big things that, I mean, the thing that I found most refreshing about the show was one that, Elena was not the hero she was just the traveler or the observer um and the whole I guess from her perspective hmm. she's writing you know a, a diary or a book of her travels um you know unlike uh Nikkei who we find out is her mother um who actually and I really do want to stress I just want to say very quickly like I really do want to stress like you know again I'm not faulting the show for you know choosing to be that again if the purpose of the author was to create a show that is exactly what you're describing about a hero who is non-confrontational and non-interventional, you know, then, I mean, I can't complain. Ultimately, I'm speaking from the perspective of what I want. Yeah, and I don't think show. you're wrong. And I think I totally think that other people uh, would agree with you for sure, especially when they started watching more of the Slice of Life episodes. I think the the word hero is very important because I do not think Elaine is a hero and that comes across very clearly throughout the duration of the show. I think she's the protagonist because we see the story through her eyes, but she's not the hero because she's not going out there to do good in the world. She's just going out there to sneak to see new things, experience new stories, and not necessarily get involved in them. Um, and I think the other tricky thing with the show is that um, clearly the episodes, even though they're aired in a certain order, are not chronologically happening in that order. Like the events of episode nine with the the clock tower of Rostolf, that doesn't happen in episode nine after she's done eight episodes of stuff. They're, they're completely out of order. And I don't know, the show doesn't sort of explains that, but it doesn't really stress that fact. Um, and it can be a little bit, you definitely can't keep track of the time periods that these things are happening in. But I definitely was under the impression that even though it happened in episode nine, it could have totally happened much earlier in the story, especially at episode 12 sure. when we find out that uh that happened before the carter story and the carter story happened you know an episode or two before the rostov clock tower thing right i'm not remembering that incorrectly no you're right right yes episode yeah. eight and then episode nine whereas epi apparently episode eight happened after episode nine so yeah, I think that's that's one thing that it has against it. And I think that was a deliberate choice because the idea is not that Elena, you know, goes through these traumatic events early on and that sort of changes her character to become like one, like you said, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, obviously, witches can be bad because the cutter is one of the witches they, um, you know, come across. Um, she's like an associate, not an association witch, but she's a, she's a full-fledged witch and she obviously is not using her power for good. Um, I think... The distinction there is that there's an actual organization of witches that is dedicated to you know you know working for people like the the association of magic or whatever it is they're like sort of like the organized yeah. like uh um you know order keepers i guess in terms of witches and there's not so much of us well most people are going to be good there's always going to be you know bad people as well i think i like the idea that her mother you know with the adventures of nikki if sort of they sort of read they lead the episode off with a story from the book where Nikkei goes to a place and does something and that has like a, a lasting positive impact and then Elena can observe that positive impact like with the the town with the wall like she sort of makes the observation yep. like maybe Nikkei made this one action because she knew further down the line uh you know eventually the wall would come down somehow whereas Elena is very much like passively observing everything um and I found that really refreshing that's what I probably liked a lot about the show 
um, but I totally get you know being disappointed that that's the the growth never happens you know growth and that and then it doesn't become like the the more standard hero I guess mm. I'm gonna take another point from that too and, and like really agree because every time we're introduced to Elena she's obviously going somewhere new and you're expecting her to like have information from what she's learned or what she's done and it doesn't follow through like when she gets up to that level of like what is it episode eight when she goes to the school no it's seven or whatever when she goes to hogwarts and she's just able to boil down everything she's learned and just basically pass it off to these kids like like it's no work like it's super easy and i and i get that's what a witch is level of power is is that they can control magic at will but it's we don't have a clear and concise timeline like you said with episodes being jumbled and time skips forward and back that we're, we're led to believe that she gained this immense amount of knowledge in such a condensed format and then just is able to pass it off like that was my only concern is that when she explains magic to people it's so matter-of-factly and so like why why don't you know and especially when she what is that saya saya is the yep apprentice yep. yeah so when she teaches her how to fly properly like how how she's just like this is how you do it and i understand now at the end of that episode saya is secretly like holding back and just doing it because she's in love with her but again from a standpoint of someone who didn't read the source material and didn't fully get too much weird world building out of it because like when i watch a series that is this short i just watch it consume it i'm done i'm not i'm not here for the three hundred thousand reddit posts that are like all right so when elena learned wind magic she secretly was learning kagebushi no jutsu no like i'm i'm good but Overall, like, I, I'm going to agree with you guys that her being a quote-unquote hero, she's more of an observer, more of a chronicler of these adventures. She's always looking to go to the next place. And if she can have fun along the way, yeah, sure. It's, it's, we're not getting someone who's like, you know what? Pull the sword out of the stone, become the king, make sure everyone's fine. And especially with the, the lying episode, she was perfectly content to, like, destroy this entire quote-unquote country, which is just a village, and make everyone's life exactly the way it was, even though it was for the benefit of, like, the, the person who asked her. But overall, for the whole, the whole country, because everyone does kind of get back to normal starts talking like they should but like she just basically stood up to a king and went no you're dumb and with with just one person writing a note please dispel this magic hmm. um this is uh gonna sound a little bit random but i am curious did either of you think that this anime was an isekai anime when you were first mm. introduced to it i think there's there tends no. to be very recognizable tropes uh in those sort of anime at least i haven't seen one that avoids those tropes um i would be interested in seeing one that stays away from them but they typically make their uh intention very clear from the get-go oh i lied there is exactly actually one episode uh, one show that does it really well which is um uh the overly cautious hero um that one has a really great twist towards the end um but again, that one also makes it clear that it's an isekai from the start. It's just not quite how you're expecting. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like with isekai, they typically have the problem of they have to to establish that it's that from the start because that's what gets people interested, I guess. Um, it's like the big selling point is that it is an isekai. So even if they try and hide it for an episode or something, they just have to reveal it very quickly. So I didn't get the impression that it was an isekai. I'm trying to think of, of one that, that has hidden it well. And, like, usually it starts out with, like, 
character walking home, character so, going to a game release or a bus, whatever. To be clear, <laughs> when I said, did you think it was an isekai, I should have clarified my question a little bit more. When you were first like introduced to screenshots or when you first saw news of its uh, imminent release on like a, an anime news site, for example, and all you saw of it were images of what you were in store for. No. Um, yeah, I'm going to say no as well, because... Mm. Okay. I was only recently made aware of its proper name, like like I said, two weeks ago. Like I had heard rumblings and I had seen screen grabs. I was like, okay, that that show looks interesting. Um, and then again in our in our Discord group, I've heard people talk about it. But when people are like, no, it's Wandering Witch: The Journey of Elena, I was like, oh, that's what that show is. And then it connected. But because I had heard more people talk about it less researching like i tend to not try and get hyped up about what is going to be airing i tend to like just do my stuff season by season so as the season starts i go okay what's what's popular this season instead of Hmm. getting too excited for another gundam coming up if i see oh sorry so uh i was gonna say if, if i see you know, a screenshot or something of an anime that's sort of set in a fantasy setting. I just think, oh, it's a fantasy anime. Unless there's some really obvious sign that, like, something's not right. Like, the protagonist is wearing, like, you know, modern clothes. Or they have a smartphone or something ridiculous like that. So, yeah, it's it's. I guess it's not my default setting to assume that uh, a show of this sort of setting, I guess, is an isekai. But... What do you gotta call ReZero out like that? <laughs> I mean, you know, I love ReZero. <laughs> I love that show too. So, touching on ReZero and Isekais in general, obviously this show is not an Isekai, but certainly there are a lot of like design elements and little touches here and there that make it at times feel a little bit Isekai-like. I think that you'd be hard-pressed to find a fantasy series uh, in the anime industry nowadays that does not have at least some Isekai elements in it, even if it is not an Isekai itself. I mean, the look of the protagonist herself, Elena, certainly draws comparisons to the protagonist from uh i forget what it's called didn't i say to make my abilities average in the next life i don't know if either of you have seen that particular show but you you compare the look of that protagonist to the protagonist of this show and it's like oh man like you the two of you look exactly alike and it's not even that like i'm accusing anyone of being a plagiarist it's just you know certain styles and certain looks uh tend to flow uh, flow freely and you know be easily kind of uh how to say like copied through osmosis in the current era that's interesting um you watch a lot of isekai or are like exposed to a lot of those sort of shows is that why quite yeah, quite a bit. And I'd say that what I appreciate about Isekai is that uh, when they're done well, the fact that the protagonist of the Isekai is a, you know, traveler from another world, usually our own, uh, usually leads to, you know, some really interesting situations in some of the strongest writing in the show. Uh, in ReZero, for example, which the two of you brought up earlier, um, Subaru's, uh, you know, uh, switching over from the world uh that we live into uh the fantasy world that he comes to be in you know serves as a catalyst for his growth as a character for him to kind of uh realize his past feelings and you know learn to be the person that he needs to be to survive and uh live up to the expectations of uh, the people that he's come to be friends with in a new world he's a part of uh you look at another anime like konosuba for example and i feel like some great jokes come from uh uh, the protagonist of that show, forget his name. Kazuma. I apologize to Konosuba fans out there. Kazuma, there we go. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, some of the best humor in that show comes from Kazuma, uh, you know, trying to apply uh, knowledge and tropes and concepts from uh, his world to the fantasy world that he's come to be in there. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I stand with regards to so, Isekai. Yeah, it's interesting. I I tend not to watch a lot of Isekai. I've, I've seen a handful for sure. I feel I've been under the impression after the few I've watched that you know the exception would be ReZero in terms of like actually making use of that the character coming from a different place and you know the new setting being the catalyst for his growth and not just that but um, exposing his his sort of uh, built up image of himself. You know the idea that he now that he's fully aware that he's in a new world and he's expecting all these 
sort of video game fantasy tropes to happen and then they don't and like how that breaks him down that's like you know great i love that stuff um but i often expect the show to be like more uh you know they transferred to a new world and they got some overpowered ability and now they're like you know generic uh shonen protagonist for an isekai sure, so slime. i guess it's maybe why i don't watch as much but i totally get you know if you watch a bunch of them and you see characters from there and then you see this show um yeah i totally get it because i mean at the end of the day they're quite often you know a fantasy setting um yeah i could see the similarities for sure I brought up Isekais to begin with because, you know, we were talking about Elena not being the hero that we uh, expect her to be or want her to be. And, you know, it's interesting in shows like Konosuba or ReZero or any other uh, Isekai anime that you can throw a stick at. I feel like a very common trope in all those shows is that there is this concept of the hero. There is this concept of like the protagonist that will defeat uh the ultimate evil and either that's an actual person that inhabits the world of the isekai or it's a concept that the protagonist has at the top of their mind which you know in moments of despair and darkness you know serves as a guiding light a beacon that you know allows them to be the best person that they can be and it's interesting that you know for all of the kind of tropes and imagery that um elena copies from other isekai anime something that is very absent uh, from the show that is present in isekai anime is the idea of the hero in this fantasy world that elena lives in there is sort of no hero there's no kind of faded chosen one that you hear about in whispers and in newspaper articles you know vanquishing evil and saving people from uh temptation like and i, I feel like that's really kind of telling because you know, in the absence of this hero, in the absence of this sort of, you know, grand figure, Elena, you know, doesn't feel inclined to be a hero herself because she has nobody that, you know, she's ever had to kind of really look up to. Her hero, quote unquote, is Nikkei, who, you know, was somebody who concerned herself more with traveling than, you know, being this sort of heroic figure, in some cases, even handing off the her heroic duties to other people like her two apprentices in that one episode. And so she kind of models her entire existence off of kind of that kind of a person. So I think what we've established, what well, we have established, that again, it's it's a story about Elena, she's going around doing stuff and not She's not hard into problem solving, but she does solve problems. Uh, she yeah. also observes problems and lets people deal with their like consequences. Like, bottled happiness, she just flat out lets it mm-hmm. happen. She doesn't explain anything. She doesn't go into detail about, like, this is just going to show things. This isn't going to make someone happy. Like, this is, this is just the physical, or the physical, magical manifestation of the emotions. Um... But the show, what it accomplishes in, in these episodes is that it's a different way to tell a story. It's not forcing it. Like, I didn't feel like any episode was forcing something. There was no objective. And that overall, like, like I said, I'm going to rewatch it to catch some of the extra stuff mm. and enjoy it rather than just have it thrown at me. Um, but I wanted to get into, like, uh like in the later half of our recording here um like was there any characters other than elena that stood out to you guys uh um i i mean i was a big fan of both sheila and fran i thought they were very fun to watch um Mm. i i think one of the the most fun aspects of the show for me was the like you know being aware of it towards the end uh if you go back and watch the episodes with the knowledge that um her mum is Nikkei and like the hints they drop from the first episode all the way to the end that that's the case um if you pay attention they start doing it like from the very start um it's that was quite fun but yeah I think probably my most enjoyable character to watch was either Fran or Sheila um probably Sheila actually just because she has like the Harley Davidson broom which is really funny to me. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice bit of audio mixing mm-hmm. on the show's part. What about you, Gazi? 
yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much in agreement. I thought that Fran and Sheila were uh, pretty fun supporting characters, and it was great that we got to see as much of them as we did. You know, after both characters are introduced in their respective episodes, uh, I was tempted to believe that, okay, well, these are the last times that we're going to see these particular characters, and so it was great that we got to see uh, as much of them as we did. I will say, and like I know we're supposed to be talking about the characters that we love the most, I was disappointed by Saya's character in that I was, you know, uh, quite fond of her uh, in the episode in which we uh, were introduced to her. I really liked her kind of uh, growth and character arc there. Uh, but I do feel like she did become a little bit more of a caricature as yep. uh, things went on. And, you know, the kind of psycho lesbian trope within anime is, you know, certainly not a new thing. Uh, but I, I've watched other animes where you have similar-ish characters that still felt way less uh, of a character caricature than this one felt. By totally agree. I felt like well, uh, that was like an excess uh, compared to the rest of the show. I, I, in general, I was pretty impressed by um, a lot of the characters, even if they only showed up in one episode. Like there was interesting characters with interesting stories, um, good acting, all that sort of stuff. Um, in general, so Saya was like a, a sort of. Uh, someone that stuck out as like being really really tropey and um like over the top for you know what the show was in my mind and the problem yeah to that exact point is that again this is a show that uh takes so many dramatic hard left and heart right turns and so you know when you have uh episode nine where shit absolutely hits a fan and then uh, the next episode, or maybe it's the episode after uh, Saya's back, and oh man, there's a crazy love potion in the air, and characters are falling in love with each other, and characters are body swapping. It's like, man, this this sticks out even more than it would normally if the entire show was just sort of a kind of slice of life girls, you know, uh, cuddling each other yep. kind of show. Well, I wanted to compare it very similarly, like that pairing to a certain scientific railgun. Because Railgun mm. does it where Mikoto, the main character, has no interest whatsoever in Shirai. Like, and they make it very, like, night and day early on. And they do the, the, the classic hijinks, like, she's trying to see her get undressed. She's trying to be there when she brushes her teeth. All this weird stuff. But I found Saya, Saya leaned really hard into it, and I... I guess that's the intent of the series, and that's what they, they implied, because it exists. But I felt at points, like, because... Did you guys watch Subs or Dubs? Uh, I watched Subs, subs yeah. in my case. Okay, and Element... Sorry? Element? Subs? Okay, yeah. So, Sub Bros. In the dub, there's one line where it's, like, it's something along the lines of, I can't wait till tonight, Elena, where I get to, like, sleep and cuddle up against you. She looks at her and says, excuse me? And then it's like, we're sleeping in the same bed, right? It's like, like, how is that a normal sentence? Yeah, very, uh, I don't know, it's very anime to me. Um, and it's not good anime. Yeah. <laughs> Drew, I want to say, you know, they say that uh, great minds think alike. And I know that you to be a great mind because literally when I was talking about, you know, uh, other anime that feel that features Saya S characters, a certain scientific railgun was the exact anime that came to mind where I'm not excusing uh, the way that Shirai Kuroko acts in that particular anime. There are definitely a lot of uh, cringy scenes in that particular show that are pretty face palmy, especially in the year 2021. But, you know, when Shirai is not trying to ogle Mikoto at every single opportunity, she's shown to be a very kind of competent and capable character that, you know, is more than just the caricature that she sometimes ascends into being. And so, yeah, I was kind of hoping that Saya would be a little bit more Shirai Kuroko than than a Saya, but alas, a Shia she was. And and you know what? It's going to happen. Like, tropes exist because tropes... Like, ex tropes are an effective yeah, way to communicate, and... uh, I guess, complex ideas or character um, personalities. You can sort of bundle it into a trope. Um, and you have an easy sort of way of applying it to a character, but yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it, it was disappointing to see from a show that otherwise I thought was pretty good in you know most of the other aspects. So overall, we we tend to do this at the end of of a series is recommend it, and 
this is a show I would recommend. Uh, I, I would even recommend it. Like, I usually say, like, I would have to know someone, know their interests, and know what anime in their catalog. And even if it's a new person, like, I would hold back on a lot of shows. But I think this is a very good show for someone who has watched a handful of anime, even if it's, like, three or five. Um, I wouldn't say someone who came up to me and said, hey, Andrew, I'm getting into my first anime. What should I watch? Obviously, because of the content warning uh, and some of the other themes. But I think this is a very good, like, early in your catalog kind of beginning anime. And even as we are more experienced in our repertoire, um, it's it's a good one to add on. Because although we do have some gripes and we have some points that we're we're not agreeing with, every bit of content we consume can't be perfect we're not getting a show that is neon genesis evangelion every week Hmm. and that's fine and i think having a critical view on shows is is a better way to communicate and a better way to to get things out there like have those little mistakes have characters that are cringy because like look at season two of sword art online (laughs) And how that show is a tank for, like, ratings. And I don't mean, like, tank going down. I mean, like, tank busting through walls. Like, Okay. I was curious <laughs> yeah. where you were going with that comparison. Different kind of tank. Um, big tank. Uh, and, like, this show has a good reason to be where it is. Like, I don't have my anime list open, but I will. While you guys talk about how you view it and recommend it. Uh, I'll go first. Um... I I think this is uh, a good show. I quite enjoyed it. Um, but I don't think this would be at the front of my list for recommendations. I, I agree with Drew that um, I wouldn't recommend this to someone looking for their first series. Um, it'd probably be like, you know, someone who's already familiar with anime. I could tell them, you know, yeah, check this out. I think there's it does a lot of things well. Uh, if it did some things better, I could definitely see myself absolutely recommending this. I, I, I would compare this to like... Uh, maybe made in abyss or something in terms of you know the story starting off a certain way hmm. and then exploring like some darker themes and really getting into you know characters and what motivates them and just like a really fucked up world that the characters are existing in um but obviously i think made in abyss did it so much better um even though this show's not bad by any means hmm. i just think made in abyss i think maybe because of the linear structure of the story that also helped it i think the show maybe suffered because we were jumping back and forth between different time periods across the episodes. So it makes it hard to have continuous growth in a character, but I still think it was a good show. Made in Abyss like also goes to some pretty dark places, but I feel like the, the darkness in that show is definitely escalating in a linear fashion where you know that the next episode of that show is going to be a little bit more deeper into the depths of humanity. Yeah. Which is what's hard about this show because that's not the case and it can be difficult to recover from that like whiplash of like episode nine into episode 10 um completely you know opposites i was sort of expecting the show when it sort of danced between more wholesome stuff and then more darker stuff that it will continue that sort of trend of like balancing one or two good episodes with one or two bad episodes not like quality wise but like tone wise um but then i felt like the majority of the episodes were more wholesome leaning and then there was some super dark ones that sort of made up for the lack of the dark ones in the earlier episodes. Well, like episode three, right? You get that quick little surprise for the the bottle mm-hmm. of happiness, right? So it's like I had to rewind and rewatch that because when the maid comes mm-hmm. out and then you're introduced to other characters after on, you kind of put things together. Again, we're not going to spoil every episode for you people, but that quick little glimpse and you're like, where's this show going and that's that's again like i said those are the episodes that caught me um and then cozy your recommendation kind of yeah okay so here's the thing at the very top of this podcast i talked about how i was first exposed to the wandering witch uh via people talking about it on twitter and sharing screenshots um however there actually was uh 
another source by which it was first introduced to this show, and I'm curious if either of you remember this, I remember on anime news sites like Crunchyroll seeing stories about how apparently the creator of this, uh, not not the show, but the original light novel that inspired the show, uh, Jogi uh, Shiraishi, had apparently uh, told the anime staff behind the show to not show the main protagonist's underwear. And he would go on in subsequent interviews to expand on this and explain that basically he wanted the series to feel as natural as possible and to be something that could, you know, appeal to the whole family. He didn't want any etchy elements potentially, you know, turning off different age groups and and types of people from wanting to I get totally into saw it. that same story. And I uh while I, I was watching too. it, like I was reading the discussion threads and people were talking about that that story you're talking about in those threads. Um but I was not aware of it at the time mm. it was there right now. Yeah, and you know, I had that story in the back of my mind going into the show, and I was thinking, okay, with that in mind, I expect that the show is probably going to be uh, the kind of show that I could potentially introduce to the entire family if it is uh, of, you know, the level of quality that I'm looking for. You know, a couple of anime seasons back, we got the anime Cells at Work, which is a show that I really, really love. It's a show, for those who have never seen it, about... Uh, anthropomorphized cells of the human body going about their day, you know, fighting germs and the whole bit. But, you know, I could never quite bring myself to introduce that show to more people than I wanted to because that show does get a little bit gory in ways that didn't really kind of feel like they were kind of necessary for that show to kind of tell the story that it wanted to tell. And so I was hopeful going to the show that this would be something I could kind of share with a wider audience. But yeah, for the reasons that we've discussed, for the kind of unexpected moments of extreme depravity seen in episodes uh, nine, for example, I don't know that this is a show that I can quite recommend to nearly as many people as I was hoping I would. I will say that, like, there are definitely people out there who definitely will get a lot out of this show. This is definitely not one of those animes where kind of everything uh, is laid bare. There's no subtext at all, nothing to interpret. I can definitely see other fans of the fantasy genre coming to the show and getting a lot out of it and seeing uh, Elena's journey in a way that I didn't see it and appreciating it that much more. And so, yeah, to what you were saying, Drew, I think I would recommend it only to a relatively kind of small subsect of people that I think would be able to appreciate it and would uh, be able to kind of seal themselves properly going into it uh, with the knowledge that I would impart to them that this is not a show for the faint of heart. All right. Yeah. So we're in agreement that it, it is a recommended show. So uh, we'll start compiling with a with an asterisk. Yeah, well, that's what we'll do. Well, that's what we'll do. Yeah, we'll compile a list. Uh, I'm going to say starting at the end of the month, mainly because at the end of the month and uh, actually in four days from this recording, it is the one year anniversary of Baka and Company. So we want to thank everyone who's been hanging out, everyone that's been here from the beginning. If you're new, whatever. Again, we encourage you to reach out because if you're someone who's consumed any sort of anime and you're you were before i started recording i was kind of in a limbo where what do i watch next do i still like anime and then with the help of frank and element just cheering me on to say you need to watch this i'm all in and a backlog is starting so i'm back to exactly where i was in 2013 and just losing my evenings to anime so I think uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to look into uh, what our one-year anniversary recommendation for our next recording will be. Uh, we're going to talk about that off-air, uh, and we're going to post it on Twitter to say what we can all wa- maybe watch together and have uh, some of the, the community come in and talk about it and maybe uh, do something there. So I want to take the chance again to thank Cozy Bear for coming in today watching this show with us uh element as always being the champion of reason me for not falling asleep and having a nap (laughs) after work and missing the recording um but we appreciate any and all feedback you have bakako podcast on twitter fastest way to reach us if you want something more private bakako podcast at gmail.com if you want something more public and you want to argue with us directly our link tree has our discord link we look forward to chatting with you next time Bye. bye Take care, guys. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Back up! Back up! Back up! 